blowout. I have never seen the Republican Party so unified as it is right now. Nikki Haley vows to stay in. I'm a woman of my word. While Trump turns dark. I am a dissident. Success will be our revenge. And 11th hour. Putin gains every day that Ukraine does not get the resources it needs. Speaker Johnson feels the heat as a shutdown looms. You either secure the border or you get no money for the government. Plus, I'm on a mission to change Congress. Exclusive reporting on what Johnson and Trump discussed at Mar-a-Lago and IVF on the ballot. I was shocked. IVF is so personal. Democrats lean in. Abortion isn't just on the ballot in a handful of states this year. It is on the ballot for every person in this country this year. As Republicans scramble. Inside politics, the best reporting from inside the corridors of power starts now. Good morning and welcome to Inside Politics Sunday. I'm Anuraj. Donald Trump once again trounced Nikki Haley. But once again, Haley says she's not going anywhere. Now, the former two-term South Carolina governor just lost by more than 20 points in her home state. And this is the fourth state where Trump has won by double digits. And this time doing so despite being outspent by $15 million on air. Yet in speaking to cheering supporters last night, Haley continued to offer this warning to her party. We need to beat Joe Biden in November. I don't believe Donald Trump can beat Joe Biden. Nearly every day, Trump drives people away. Could she be right? Now, despite Trump running the table with very conservative voters in this conservative state, there are warning signs for his likely general election candidacy. That's the race Trump is now focused on as he tries to paint a dark vision of President Biden's America. Now, CNN's Kristen Holmes has been traveling with the former president. She's in Columbia, South Carolina. Kristen, how is Trump world dealing with Nikki Haley staying in this race? Well, Manu, it depends if you mean privately or publicly, because privately they're all still very annoyed that Nikki Haley is staying in this race, but internally as well as publicly, the messaging is the same. As you said, it is time to start focusing on the general election. They've had four resounding wins. Almost every contest on the horizon for the primary season has Trump as the favorite. They need a campaign reset looking ahead to November. Now, before I get excoriated for talking about some sort of Trump presidential pivot, that is not at all what I am talking about. His team is very aware of who he is. He is going to continue to say and do whatever he wants. I am talking about a campaign restructure in terms of building out infrastructure and in terms of building out messaging. Now, infrastructure, that means building out their teams in critical battleground states like Michigan, like Arizona, like Georgia. Messaging, it means focusing more on President Joe Biden than anything else. Now, you saw a little bit of that from the former president last night in his speech when he didn't mention Nikki Haley once, focusing those attacks on the president. But even his senior advisor said they had no idea if he was going to go after Haley or not when he got up on that stage. All they could do was tell him, please don't go after Nikki Haley and just focus on the general. Now, you mentioned this. There are certainly warning signs ahead of a general election for Donald Trump, despite all of these resounding wins. That is why his team believes they have to focus on the general election now. They have to get into these communities. They have to get every single vote that they possibly can. They are very aware that Donald Trump is a polarizing figure and that this is going to be a long road ahead of them if they want to win in November. 
Yeah, and one reason why he didn't end, uh, say anything about Nikki Haley, he came out before her almost immediately after the race was called. She waited uh, until later in the 8 o'clock hour. I tend to guess if she went first, he would have responded to her, but that's just... Uh, maybe just an educated guess. <laughs> Thank you, Kristen Holmes, for that report. Uh, we're going to break this all down with my great panel this morning. That's Sungmin Kim, White House reporter for the Associated Press. John Bresnan, the co-founder of Punchbowl News. And CNN's national political reporter, Steve Contorno. Good morning to you guys all. Okay. It's been a busy morning, a late night. Right. For those of us who are covering uh, the race. Uh, uh, Steve, uh, you know, despite Trump's win, we did learn a lot about his vulnerabilities, his standing, his viability as a general election candidate. We're going to dig a little bit into the numbers here. So because uh, there were interesting exit poll numbers about what this means going forward. Trump, among Haley supporters, 76 of Haley supporters would be dissatisfied if Trump were the nominee. And same question to those same Haley supporters, 82 percent would not believe he is fit for the presidency if he were convicted of a crime. Now, she took almost 40% in her home state, but that is you know, not a majority, but still clearly a concern for Trump's team realizing that there is a sizable amount of people who aren't ready to vote for him. Absolutely. And 74% said that he would not be mentally fit to serve as well. So clearly, you have in every state so far where Republicans have weighed in, you have seen a sizable number of them say, look, we don't want Trump. And it's especially interesting in South Carolina because coming into yesterday, there, so much of the narrative was that what is her path to victory? Is she actually still competitive in this race? And yet 40% of people still felt compelled enough to come out and vote for someone other than Donald Trump. And now she, obviously these are great signs for Nikki Haley. And she's gonna have to explain to her supporters in these upcoming states, as well as her donors, what her path is. But there are some warning signs for Donald Trump as well. Yeah, and it's interesting, just the different universe of Republican voters that are out there, that right. exist in who Trump goes for and the people that he are not supporting him. Just look at how the South Carolina electorate, Republican electorate about, were asked the question, do you think Biden legitimately won in 2020? Of course he did. Haley supporters said 76% yes. Just 11% of Trump supporters believe Joe Biden legitimately won. Right, right. And if you're someone, if you're a Republican voter or someone who participated in the primary last night who believed that Joe Biden did win the election as he did, you're more likely to vote for Haley. So you're seeing all of these in the data last night that CNN did, as well as the AP. You're seeing all of these uh, ways where Haley still has... You, you, basically, you see why Nikki Haley is still staying in the race. She sees a big part of the, or at least a sizable part of the Republican Party who cannot support Trump in any way, who um, who is turned off by his his uh, his 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 rhetoric, his criminal liabilities, his uh, any other issues that he has. And if you're looking for something, if you're looking for something that's been consistent across a lot of the um, a, a, the, the the early contests, one in five primary, one in five Republican primary voters. Um, According to AP Vocast, our, our survey of voters in these early states say they would not support Trump in a general election. Mm -hmm. That is a huge warning sign for Trump. And he has to figure out a way to make that appeal across to moderate voters, to swing voters, which Nikki Haley has done a good job on, but Trump certainly hasn't. And you talk to Republicans all the time. How concerned are they about his general election viability? On the Hill, they're very concerned. They've got Look, they have a great Senate map in 2024 for to win back the Senate. 
Um, which we'll talk about later in the show, so make sure you stay tuned in. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, you know, there are going to be places, you know, Michigan, Pennsylvania, where there's Senate races, where there are tough races for Republicans. But these are presidential states, states Trump needs. Can he appeal to voters in those states and then help their candidates? And, of course, they've got the House. You know, House is up for grabs, and that's a, a national election. A national, it's a series of, you know, 435 national races. And, you know, they're very concerned about yeah. what Trump brings. And, you know, and it's how, what his message is going to be in the general election and how that, whether the party is going to embrace that message. You were at CPAC yesterday. Uh, Trump would, painted a rather dark vision of America as he tried to rile up his base. I stand before you today not only as your past and hopefully future president, but as a proud political dissident. I am a dissident. November 5th will be our new Liberation Day, but for the liars and cheaters and fraudsters and censors and imposters who have commandeered our government, it will be their Judgment Day. They were eating that up yesterday, but that's the very hardcore base, but how does that translate into general? Exactly, and that's gonna be the question. And he said, you know, last year he said at CPAC, I am your retribution. This year he said, success will be our revenge. So, you know, sort of changing the terms a little bit, but but when you say judgment day for our opponents is, is coming, that's how you're gonna cast the November election. How does, what does that mean about reaching toward the middle and some of these these moderate voters? And even some Republicans, I was in talking to folks in Nevada ahead of that, uh, caucus there, and there are Repu longtime Republicans there who don't fit in with that magnification of the party who are looking for alternatives. They're considering RFK Jr. because they don't feel like the MAGA part of this party represents them anymore. And of course, it's always things that Trump says that he has to clean up, or just his party has to clean up. He right. I don't think he cleans he it up ever. <laughs> never, exactly. And this is what he said about when he was speaking to black supporters about his own criminal charges and why he thinks they support him because of it. We've all seen the mugshot. And you know who embraced it more than anybody else? The black population. It's incredible. I got indicted for nothing. Then I got indicted a second time and a third time and a fourth time. And a lot of people said that that's why the black people like me, because they have been hurt so badly and discriminated against. And they actually viewed me as I'm being discriminated against. That's something else. Now, look at the, look at the <laughs> South Carolina exit polls. I just want to just point to this point, though, because it's been about a fight about electability. Is he electable or not? South Carolina exit poll voters believe that Trump is more electable than Haley, even though she had been making, she outspent it by 15 million bucks in her own state, she could not convince her own voters that he was unelectable. Right, right. And if you're looking at just sort of the national head-to-head -head polling where you're looking at Nikki Haley versus Joe Biden and Donald Trump versus Joe Biden, obviously way too far out, or way too early, but it is not a question that Nikki Haley has done better in the head-to-heads against Joe Biden than Donald Trump, which is why electability has been sort of her calling card throughout the campaign. She hasn't been able to, uh, she hasn't been able to persuade Republican primary voters of that just yet. We were all remembering when Republicans would fall in line where Democrats would fall in love. It's been the reverse. Republicans are the ones who are falling in love with their candidates, even though they don't really, even though there are so many signals that this could be really problematic in a November election. Yeah. And I just want to put on our screen so viewers know what is next in the primary since Haley is not getting out. First next, Haley's next week. She's still, she says she's not getting out. She's in Michigan today. She's going to be trying to campaign there ahead of 
Tuesday. You see also Trump's uh, court camp, court issues uh, as well. And but also the primaries. Look, February 27th is the next primary, all the way to March 25th. Super Tuesday is going to be obviously the big question for her. How, can she win any state in Super Tuesday? But the delegate math may be too much for her come mid-March. Yeah, and and you know this was a, something that the DeSantis camp when I was covering them was confronting over and over again, which is this question of there are so many unknowns about Donald Trump. And as long as you have money, why not stay in the race and give yourself a chance? So if, if there is something that happens to him, if, if suddenly uh, one of these legal issues sticks in the minds of voters in a way that it hasn't yet, does that give you a chance? And, and yeah. you know, obviously, they made the calculation that, that that wasn't enough for them. But I know that the Haley folks must be considering that as well. Yeah, look, it's a money game. We'll see if she decides how long she does to stay. And the math may be just too much for her. So we have to get out. We'll see. Okay, up next, my exclusive new reporting on the Mar-a-Lago meeting between Donald Trump and Speaker Johnson. But first, pleas for Ukraine aid are falling on deaf ears in the GOP. And SNL points the finger at Donald Trump. I've been pushing for Ukraine funding for the past six months. It's essential to American security. And Trump just killed it with one phone call. The man doesn't care about this country one iota. Sometimes I think he's downright dangerous. Mm. And, uh, and you just endorsed him, right? Yeah, big time, big time. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. This morning, as Ukraine enters the third year of Russia's invasion, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky issuing a dire warning. We don't accept this um, finale to fight for our life. If Ukraine will lose, and if it will be very difficult for us, if there'll be a big amount of victims, depends on you, on our partners, on the, on the Western world. If we'll be strong enough with the weapons, we won't lose this war. We will win this war. I have hope about the U.S. Congress. And I'm sure that it will be a positive solution. Otherwise, I don't understand which world we're living. 
So what will Speaker Johnson do? He has said he won't take up the Senate's $95 billion aid package that includes money for Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan, slamming that plan because it lacks border security provisions. Yet he killed a bipartisan border deal because he and Trump said it did not go far enough. And this is also Johnson's reality. If he puts a bill on the floor to send billions to Ukraine, conservative hardliners already warning they will force him a vote to oust him from a job he has held for just four months. And now there's this. Some top Republicans are calling on Johnson to put a Ukraine aid package on the floor, keeping open the option of signing onto a Democratic-led effort to force a vote and circumvent the leadership, known on Capitol Hill as a discharge petition. My hope is that uh, my Republican leadership will make the right decision, put it on the floor for a vote, and when they do that, it will pass and it will pass by a wide majority. Will you sign a discharge petition, Mr. McHenry? Uh, I've not seen one presented, Manu. I've not seen one presented. Not ruling that out. Uh, John Bresnan, um, we're in the halls talking to members all the time, House Republicans. How does Johnson play this? Because he has indicated he is in no concern to move ahead. He is facing pressure on both sides. Does he ignore it? Or ultimately, is he going to get jammed by those members in his own party? It's very hard to get a discharge petition through. You have to buck your leadership. People talk about it all the time. And I'm never once. Have one time I can remember that. One in yeah. mccain fine goal, yeah. and that was 18 years ago right. or something. Um, Johnson says, you know, he wants border security stuff, and he's also focused on making sure the government doesn't shut down, which is going to happen soon if he, unless they pass spending bills. I, I look. I think it's. I think there's a lot of. Emotional support for Ukraine, is there a lot of political support? Those are two different things. Enough Republicans, I don't know. And especially now, Trump is clearly the nominee, Mm -hmm. or you're going to be the nominee for the Republicans. He's against more Ukraine funding. If he comes out and says something now, it just makes it harder for members who are who want to support Ukraine but can't afford to cross Trump to do it. That's CPAC, the only subject that was criticized and booed more than Joe Biden, perhaps was funding for Ukraine. And you saw leaders like Senator J.D. Vance, uh, who have very anti-Ukraine funding positions, celebrated there. So that just shows you where the base is. There's no appetite there for more Ukraine funding. But meantime, there's been all this frustration within the House GOP conference about Speaker Johnson's decision-making. You know, he is dealing with, he's got a whole long list of agenda items. By the way, there is another government shutdown deadline <laughs> this Friday. This will be the fourth time if they had to extend government funding, they would have to do that. Remember, they were supposed to do this on October 1st. They have not been able to do that, but they have faced two more deadlines, March 1st, March 8th, to keep the government open. Then they have all these other issues, and people don't really quite know how he's going to deal with this as he deals with these pressures internally. And there's so much frustration. You talk to any member about it, who, especially the ones who are aligned with, with Kevin McCarthy. Many of them uh, will give you this kind of responses Garrett Graves gave to me recently. How do you think Speaker Johnson is doing in this job right now, given all the challenges he's had on the floor? Um, getting tired of winning. <laughs> <laughs> he's a getting tired of winning. And look, Kat Kamek was a congresswoman from the Republican conference, told our colleague Haley Talbot on the Hill on Friday, asked about government funding. She said that she's been a little bit in the dark. She was asked, do you feel you have been left in the dark? She said, 
absolutely. A lot of members just don't know how Johnson's going to deal with these issues. Right, right. And I think while you know, while you do hear a lot from the loud voices of the party who kind of want this bottom-up process, who want to dictate what the leadership actually decides, I think it's fair to say that the vast majority of House Republicans kind of want to be led by their speaker. They want to know what the strategy is, and they're not getting that from uh, Speaker Johnson just yet. I think a lot of it, A, it's his leadership style, which he's still kind of creating with his four months on the job. I think he's a lawyer. He speaks in a very sort of precise way. A lot of times uh, Republicans are left um, having a different impression than maybe what Johnson meant to give during private meetings. But certainly Speaker Johnson is facing a really difficult week. You're talking about two government shutdown uh, deadlines coming up. You're talking about this continued tussle with Ukraine aid. And he's also made it pretty clear that Ukraine aid in terms of priority comes after these government shutdowns. Mm -hmm. And you're hearing all of these warnings coming from abroad about ammunition running out about the capabilities of Ukraine's military being affected. And you've also seen the rhetoric from the White House become much, much more strong on this, including from President Biden. He's basically said this borderline criminal yeah. that, to not aid Ukraine, not continue to aid Jake Ukraine. Jake Solomon was on every Sunday show this right. morning making the case against Speaker Johnson. Now, it's also is the pressure internally within his own conference. You heard from Patrick McHenry, uh, who's a congressman, he's a retiring, he's a chairman. He was the temporary speaker, you'll recall, after Kevin McCarthy was ousted. And he is making very clear. I talked to him a little bit more in depth about Johnson's challenges and his handling of all these issues. And this is how he responded. We need to get into the, the mode of getting things done, not punning things and pushing off in the future. What worried you about the shutdown and the fact that you guys are coming back here with only three days to avoid one? Um, we can avoid it, but it's time to get on with the deal rather than dither. And um, we can do it. But the problem is he been just too indecisive. Is that your view of things? Look, we need the speaker to be better. Uh, uh, as a House Republican, I want him to succeed. Was it a good idea for him to kill the bipartisan Senate border deal? Um, look, I think you have to bank policy wherever and whenever you can get it. I think you bank policy wherever and wherever you can get it. <laughs> he is not. Uh, he suggests perhaps he should have taken a different approach on all these issues. Yeah, but it's easy for him now because he's retiring. Right? <laughs> it's easy for him to say sure. Johnson's not He still retiring. has a vote. Well, he still has a vote. Listen, they punted something again today. They punted FAA. They look like they're going to punt that. They're supposed to reauthorize that by the Federal Aviation Administration. They're supposed to reauthorize it by the end of in two weeks. They're going to punt it into May now. Look, Johnson is isolated in some ways in his own leadership. He doesn't, he doesn't go to them for advice. It's hard to figure out who he's actually talking to. Um... But I think, and, and then he's got Trump whispering in his ear. He just was spent time with Trump the other day. So, like, I, I think it's a very difficult. I think Johnson is the personification of the split in the Republican Party and the whole House Republican Conference. And they're torn. They're torn between this Trump element and the old Republican Party. And they don't know which way to go. And that's why, you know, 14 months in this Congress, the House has been a disaster the whole time. And it's going to, it feels like it's going to keep that. And way. of course, one of the big questions, which is about how, what are they going to do with Biden's impeachment, right? Like this is, that is still hovering. They don't have the votes for that. Hunter Biden is coming behind closed doors, but there's pressure to impeach. But how does he deal? Does he keep this looming over the president, this investigation? Do they actually call for a vote that could fail, which could be a disastrous political consequence for them. All complicated calculations for the speaker. We'll see how he deals with it.
All right, that news conference with Ukrainian President Zelensky is still continuing. And as you saw, Caitlin Collins is there. So more on that coming up on CNN. Up next, how did a yelling match between Matt Gates and a fellow Republican lead to this meeting between Mike Johnson and Donald Trump? My exclusive reporting on what went down in Mar-a-Lago last week. Speaker Mike Johnson was on a mission when he arrived in Mar-a-Lago last week, convinced former President Trump to endorse Illinois Congressman Mike Bost in his re-election bid. One day later, Johnson got his wish. Trump backed Bost in that race, instead of his MAGA-aligned challenger, Darren Bailey, who was endorsed by Matt Gates. My new reporting with Melanie Zanona dives inside that meeting, how the speaker is leveraging his relationship with Trump as the former president maintains his tight grip on the House GOP and on congressional primaries across the country. Now, the case also illustrates the continued anger at Matt Gates from his move to oust Kevin McCarthy from the speakership in the fall. In fact, his vendetta against Boss seems to stems back to that time when, according to sources, Boss lunged at Gates in a closed-door meeting after Gates was shouting at McCarthy and GOP members were yelling back at Gates. And so just before Trump endorsed Boss, Gates flew to Illinois to rally for Boss's challenger. Well, I'm sure it was the argument we had during the speaker's today. Mm -hmm. um, and you know what? He's not liked in my district. Matter of fact, it may gain me votes by him coming there, as Matt does. He wants to be the center of attention, mm -hmm. and that's why he does the things like he's doing right now to me. If Mike Boss think I was speaking too loudly in Republican conference in Washington, wait till he hears me in Heron, Illinois. Mm -hmm. I'll be speaking a lot more loudly then, but this isn't personal. It's about the policy issues upon which we disagree, and if someone else has a personal issue, you know, I don't fight those things out with my fists in some sort of strange brawl. I, I fight with my words. He says it's not personal. You know, it is really about tactics, which there's been this increasing divide within the GOP about how to pursue their objectives here. Gates, part of the wing that does not necessarily always align with the leadership, to say the least. But this is how he further explained his mission, as he says, trying to change Congress. I'm on a mission to change Congress, and I can't do it with the people who are currently here. I've come to that conclusion, so I need new people, I need better people, I need better options in a lot of these Republican primaries, and I'll be traveling the country to tr try to get more people elected. You're a Florida man. Uh, what do you think <laughs> of uh, Matt Gaetz's efforts here? Well, it's funny because uh, I also covered the Illinois State House, so I've covered uh, Representative Boss there. And, you know, he was known there as a bit of a hothead, and Matt Gates is, is an instigator. So I guess it's not surprising <laughs> that they're clashing here. But, but you know, it's, it's, it's these intra-party fights. There's always been policy differences in the Republican Party, right? It's a Big Ten party. But these, the way that these personality fights have come out into the open, I mean, it's got to be distracting for the Republican Party now, especially in an election year. And I can't imagine this is anything that the RNC or, or Republicans who are trying to get Trump in the White House want to see. I mean, look, you're talking about the distraction that members are concerned about. In fact, I asked them about that. And yeah, you can imagine they weren't too thrilled about Matt Gaetz's efforts. I don't like it. You know, it's uh, you know a colleague um, campaigning against another colleague, and that's that's uh, to me uh, not a very smart move. I think the Alistair McCarthy, like I said, didn't help anything, uh, and it hasn't been productive. And so, uh, I've been very critical of the people that ousted him. Uh, I think that that was a really dumb move. The norm <clears throat> since I've been here, you don't get involved in someone else's primary, 
and that should be the norm because it creates long-term divisions in the conference. So I'm going to support Mike Bost. Let's we'll leave it at that. Somewhere even more harsh, Max Miller, the Ohio freshman, uh, told me that Matt wants more chaos, he says. He has mommy and daddy issues to work out. I mean, <laughs> have you ever seen the House GOP conference devolve like this in your time no. covering? I mean, there's Washington. nothing. There's, I mean, it started at the beginning of this Congress with the McCarthy couldn't get elected. You know, the 15 votes it took him to be speaker. And that was all. Personal. I mean, this is all intra party yeah. fighting, which is the most amazing thing about it. And it's all public. It's been going on all Congress. But the issue here, there's two issues here. One, Gates is under investigation by the Ethics Committee. He was under investigation by the Justice Department. They didn't charge him criminally, but he's under investigation over his personal behavior. Um, he's still he's attacking the Ethics Committee because Kevin McCarthy appointed all those people and he's trying to get rid of the Ethics Committee. Set Gates aside. The real issue here is that. By the, going down to Mar-a-Lago and seeking the seeking Trump's endorsement, it shows you it's all about Trump. It's it, the, the the reason why they were scared is because Gates has a relationship with Trump, and he could somehow, and then Trump could come out of the blue and endorse Bailey, which was endorsed in the past when he ran for governor. So that's really the subtext here: is that it's all about one guy trying to, you know, they're they're worried about what he may do, and in the insanity of what his choices are or not the insanity, the irrationality of his choices. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, th that's the subtext here is really about Trump and that he could yeah. just, the, a lightning bolt from Trump could change a race and, in a and house again, race. This is a ruby red district yeah. and it's not gonna change the outcome of the right. house majority, but it could change the makeup of the yeah. members and that is also something that is so significant. And you mentioned about the Trump impact on the yeah. primaries. I mean, we scoured Republican ads in these Republican primaries and lo and behold, again, this is about a loyalty test, one trying to out-Trump each other as they appeal to the base. President Trump says the election was stolen, and he's right. Trump calls Sheehy an American hero. Donald Trump says Gary Palmer is fighting to secure the border. Mark Walker and President Trump are fighting to shut down Biden's open border. On my first day in Congress, I'll work with President Trump to shut down our southern border. To secure the border, President Trump and Senator Cruz trust Brandon Gill. I mean, you don't see this on the Democratic side with Biden, but Trump no, I, is still yeah. so dominant within the base, even though, as we talked about earlier, he's got some serious issues, right. not to mention four criminal cases against him. Right, because they have to get to the primary first. I'm also thinking of a candidate in the Ohio uh, primaries for the 9th Congressional District, Craig Riedel, I believe, who um, had his with endorsement by Elise Stefanik withdrawn because he was remotely critical mm -hmm. of President Trump in a, in a radio interview. So that shows just how much of a lock he has on the party and just how much of uh, strategists, Republican leaders who are running these campaign committees have to really maneuver around Trump to make sure their favorite candidates get through the primaries. You mentioned in your reporting that Richard Hudson was also one of the people making this appeal to Donald Trump. And you saw all the maneuvering that we saw with Steve Daines when it come to that Montana Senate primary. Republicans were afraid for the longest time that Matt Rosendale would, would, would get in and Trump would back him. Obviously, Trump did not. Mm -hmm. Matt Rosendale got out. I think Republicans are breathing a little easier yeah. there. But they have to work with Donald Trump, at least in the primary phase, to make sure that they can get electable candidates. And, and that was actually interesting about Steve Daines and just the way that the GOP leaders are trying to move right. in harmony. Mitch McConnell doesn't talk to Donald Trump. Right, McConnell but stays on that him, part. Set him aside. Yeah. Steve <laughs> Daines has made that concerted decisions, the head of the Senate GOP campaign committee. And right now, they are mostly on the same page in some of these key primary races. And that could potentially bode well for them come November. Yeah, because they're on the same side because they don't do anything until Trump makes a decision <laughs> what he's going to do. 
Um, and they convinced was, him to get behind yes. Sheehy in Montana. Right, right. That was his right. But first, Johnson was going to endorse Rosendale, and then he backed yeah, away that from was that. Very messy. <laughs> that was very messy. So, like, look, it is it is about Trump in a lot of the you said in the primaries, and then it's, he's clearly going to be the nominee, uh, or he's clearly on the path to be the nominee. So they, you know, Danes took a t completely different path, and then in, they did in the last cycle, mm -hmm. which shows you how they, you know, how they're trying to change things. So, yeah. look, I just think everything from Trump is so unpredictable. It's unpredictable in the primaries. Yeah. It's unpredictable policy-wise. It's unpredictable. Everything yeah. in the and, Republican Party is unpredictable. And look, we remember what happened last cycle. He got crosswise with those yeah. candidates. He picked candidates that GOP leaders didn't like, and they didn't take the Senate. So, anyways, all right, next, Joe Biden facing new concerns about his coalition ahead of Michigan's primary on Tuesday, but could the Alabama Supreme Court actually help him in the general? I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. President Biden is poised to skate to victory in Tuesday's Michigan primary, but that doesn't mean Democrats won't be scrutinizing the results for signs of weakness in his coalition headed into November. Progressive Democrats, including prominent Muslim Americans, are urging voters to cast an uncommitted ballot to protest Biden's handling of the Israel-Hamas war. All as Biden and his supporters are trying to turn the race into a referendum on Trump and the aftermath of the Dobbs decision. The prospect of another four years of, of Donald Trump or a Biden administration that's going to do everything they can to protect women's rights and, and science, I think, is a, a very stark difference that is, is very real for people now seeing what, what happened in Alabama. I mean, just to get a sense of where things are headed into Michigan, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib uh, calling for voters to vote uncommitted on Tuesday. Of course, she's uh, Muslim American from the Michigan, uh, from the Detroit area, represents that. Also, just a coalition of voters from the Fox News poll that just came out uh, for Biden. Black voters, he, he does have 68% of support from black voters, but that is down substantially. And suburban women, he's winning, like he's losing in Michigan to voters under 45 years old. How concerned is the Biden campaign about his coalition? Right, which is why seeing that margin, particularly those who go to those uncommitted voters on Tuesday in Michigan among Democratic voters will be really interesting and a telling point for the Biden campaign. You've seen both White House officials and campaign officials really try to work to make inroads and try to, try to communicate with that community, particularly the Arab American community, uh, but they haven't been so receptive. They're really angry about the, 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 the administration's ongoing posi the positions on the ongoing war in Gaza, and there really hasn't been anything that has been able to change their minds. And the Biden campaign is hoping that once the choice is clear, once it's November, once it's time to actually vote, that these people would actually go and pull the lever for Joe Biden, not stay home, but it's a, it's a bet that they can't count on just yet. And they're hoping that, of course, the issue of abortion post-Dobbs right. will help energize the base. The aftermath of the Alabama Supreme Court ruling restricting access to IVF, of course, has become an issue that Republicans are trying to scramble and trying to clean up their positions. Trump himself weighed in on this just in the aftermath of that ruling. 
I said, wait a minute. These people are helping women for babies, which is what they want. They may be unable to have them without. And I came down in favor of it. And it's been met really in a very popular way. We want to help women. We don't want to hurt women. I mean, and the scrambling was remarkable Friday. Just look at all the tweets that Republicans put out saying that, you know, they don't support the Supreme Court and Alabama's decision. The Biden campaign tried to tie this all to Trump, saying this is he proudly overturned Roe. He brags about it on the campaign trail. You know, clearly Republicans realize this is a problem. Still, they have not figured out how to deal with the post-Roe world. Yeah, and it was interesting that Trump spoke to a group of Christian broadcasters in Nashville on Thursday. And at this event, he, he embraced what he did to overturn Roe v. Wade. He talked about the Supreme Court justices that he put uh, in place and, and the effect that they've had. But I did think it was interesting in that interview that Dana had this morning with uh, Governor Whitmer that she was not dismissive of the energy behind this effort and the concerns uh, to, to move away from Biden. And, and she actually said, it's important not to lose sight of the fact that any vote that's not cast for Joe Biden supports a second Trump turn. So clearly a very urgent call to Democrats there. Yeah, I mean, you're talking to Democrats all the time. What are they most concerned about, about the president as they head into November? And, you know, are, is it age? Is it about the base? Is it about the his handling of Israel and the Hamas war? Is it all of the above? It's all of the above. Inflation, uh, economic issues, it's all of the above. I think the problem for both sides here is this. This is a rerun of the 2020 race. And, you know, we're not going to, you know, Trump doesn't have to introduce himself to America. America knows who Trump is and everyone knows who Joe Biden is. And they're fighting over such a small margin. I think it's, you know, they're, they're fighting over yards and inches here. I mean, it's going to be so difficult. And I do think when you'll see in Michigan, and there are there is a real concern about from the White House and from Democrats about what what Biden's results are there. And I think you know with younger voters, it's a huge problem. Yeah. This is a huge the the groups Joe Biden needs to be reelected president are the ones he's most in trouble with right now mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, and that's really the big question. Can just being anti-Trump be enough to win here. And this is a much different electorate than 2020. You'll have third party candidates, things that they're just going to have to contend with, figure out how to deal with that. One big question will be, we'll see what happens Tuesday and whether there are holes in that coalition. All right, coming up. What do the MyPillow CEO and January 6th pinball machine have in common? Trump's Republican Party comes to Washington next. You lost in 2020. Donald Trump is the legitimate president of the United States. Trump won. Trump won. Trump won. Trump won. Trump won. Trump won. And that was Steve Bannon, Donald Trump's one-time chief strategist, falsely claiming Trump won the 2020 election. And he was speaking at this year's conservative political action conference known as CPAC. And today that storied gathering has transformed from a place where Ronald Reagan came to warn of the dangers of the Soviet Union to one co-opted by Donald Trump's supporters, a four-day celebration of the former president. Now, with Trump's CPAC, election denialism is gospel. And people like Mike Lindell, the MyPillow CEO, got a prominent speaking role. By the way, anybody that tells you to vote early is wrong. You vote same day. I'm telling you, that it's harder for them to cheat. 
Attendees could sing along to a tune called Trump won and you know it, filled with those same discredited lies about voting. And the violent January 6th insurrection is actually celebrated, with attendees calling for the rioters to be released. And there was even a pinball machine that went viral for its glorification of that violent day. And one prominent Trump supporter called for the overthrow of democracy. I just wanted to say, welcome to the end of democracy. <laughs> We're here to overthrow it completely. We didn't get all the way there on January 6th, but we will we, we will endeavor to, forget, oh, oh, to get rid oh. of it and replace it with, with this right here. We'll replace it with this right, right here. It's all far cry from decades ago when Reagan projected optimism and warned CPAC of the dangers of dictatorship. We accept no moral equivalency between the cause of freedom and the rule of totalitarianism. What a change in a generation. All right, that's it for Inside Politics Sunday. You can follow me on X, formerly known as Twitter, at MKRaju. You can follow the show at Inside Politics. And of course, if you ever miss a show, you can catch up wherever you get your podcast. Just search for Inside Politics. Up next, State of the Union with Jake Tapper and Dana Bash. Dana's guests include Jake Sullivan, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, and Texas Governor Greg Abbott. Thanks again for sharing your Sunday morning with us, and we'll see you next time. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.